This episode is sponsored by B2B Israel, winner of the Banking Technology Awards, Best Use of IT in Private Banking and Wealth Management for its BMatch technology. Hello and welcome to What the Fintech, the podcast from the team behind Fintech Futures and the Banking Technology Magazine. I'm Alex Hamilton, Deputy Editor at Fintech Futures, and joining me today are Sharon Kamathi, Editor at Fintech Futures. Hey! And Shlomi Turkerman, CEO and co-founder of B2B Israel. Hello, hello. Uh, welcome on board. Uh, this episode, we'll be talking about the mobile lending space in Israel, how it differs to others in the scene, and about top trends in the country's booming tech space. Up first, as ever, though, is the news in numbers segment. This is where we go out and pick up uh, the big numbers from the news over the past week or so. Uh, Shlomi, as you're our guest, you can go first. What number in the news has caught your eye recently? Uh, it's their wire announcement targeting 1 million customers by the end of 2021. Uh, yeah, Rewire, the, the, uh, the remittances company that it tries to set itself apart by being a, uh, a more digital offering than traditional remittance firms. And I think it's, a, it's an interesting one, them targeting so many customers when we've had um, big predictions from uh, the World Bank recently, especially saying uh, that we would see a remittances drop of 14% this year. Um, it's something we've discussed previously on the podcast as well, I think, but there are, there are a few countries bucking the trend, uh, like Pakistan and Jamaica. Uh, and I think that perhaps, um, as, as, the, as Rewire says, that going digital is, is the way for the remittance sector to thrive in what are uh, what remain um, challenging times. Uh, but Sharon, what, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I've seen that Rewire boasts more than 200,000 European accounts, and these are used to send money to family and friends outside the continent in sub-Saharan Africa and Eastern Asia. Um, so incumbent remittance firms like MoneyGram and Western Union have suffered uh, with, you know, getting more people and a physical footprint uh, in the past, especially the last couple of years. But all digital services like Rewire have essentially benefited during the COVID-19 induced push online. And although remittances flows to low and middle income countries were projected to fall by 7% to roughly 508 billion last year, um, and those were figures from World Bank, and they also predicted a further decline to 7.5% this year to 407 70 billion this year, remittance services firms have essentially had a strong year last year. And it looks like they're actually um, about to have a strong year this year as well, because it started with TransferWise preparing for an IPO. Um, and also right at the end of last year, TransferGo secured 4 million from Silicon Valley Bank. And also African remittance firms were thriving with remittances to sub-Saharan Africa, officially totaling 48 billion last year, um, according to World Bank again. So although they were initially, I guess, cold to the sentiment of remittance growing, uh, it seemed to actually be quite strong. So yeah, it looks like Rewire or might be on to a winner this year as well. Brilliant. Okay. Well, uh, in that case, we'll uh, we'll shift on to uh, the, to my story. Um, it's uh, it's a number we couldn't ignore uh, this week, uh, which is uh, three hundred and forty seven dollars or three hundred forty seven fifty to be exact. Um, that was the share price of retailer GameStop last week when we wrote about it experiencing its meteoric rise on the stock market fueled by retail investment apps. Uh, I'm not going to go into the nitty-gritty market implications and details because I know that Sharon is waiting to jump onto that bit of it. Um, so I'll, I'll just sort of go over the long and the short, if you'll excuse the pun. Uh, 
and that is um, that Reddit, essentially Redditors spotted or specific Redditors spotted an exposed short position held by a number of hedge funds over the uh, video games retailer GameStop, which has seen its profits decline over COVID-19. Uh, in response, uh, the inhabitants of the trading forum Wall Street Bets on Reddit began a campaign to push the stock price as high as possible to initiate a short squeeze on Melvin Capital, a hedge fund that is the most had the most exposed position and aim, aiming for it to close its position at an enormous loss. Um, now, there's all sorts of things going on here, but I'm going to focus on the tech side of it, which is that most of these traders are hobbyists and, and not in a negative way. Um, they do lots of uh, in-depth home research and they operate via retail trading apps like Free Trade or Robinhood or even via fintechs that offer trading capacities and investment capacities like Revolut. Um, now, most of these apps have begun to restrict or limit trading due to the sheer volume of orders passing through their systems as investing in uh, GameStop or uh, GME has become uh, something of a meme. Um, now, most of these uh, these, middle, these middlemen apps pass down their order flow to other companies, and those other companies have started to balk at the market implications of passing so much of these trades through the system. Uh, it's an ongoing uh, once-in-a-generation event, um, and I, I'm, I tweeted not too long ago saying that it's a pretty big milestone in showing what uh, digitally-enabled tech um, given to consumers can do to an industry that's entrenched in its own traditional ways of operating. Um, whereas before hedge funds would meet, uh, you know, their own dinners to talk about what stocks are on the rise, what companies are promising. Now people are doing it on an open forum and causing the market to move. Um, and it's come as a massive shock just uh, to, the, to the system, just how much power retail investors can have en masse. And I think uh, the, the ramifications of this will be felt for, for a long time yet. Um, and I have to say, I feel I have to say at the time of recording, we're about 15 minutes away from the opening bell in the US. So the situation could be almost completely different in a very short space of time. Um, but I'll let, I'll let Sharon um, jump in with her thoughts on, on this massive story. <laughs> I definitely do right into all of the like explainy details but I'll, I'll try my best as possible if I can because I think you gave a pretty good um, like nice little primer there for, for people to understand what's essentially been going on in the background um, especially on the retail investor side. Um, I think for, from my perspective I kind of wanted to talk about the essentially the two-sidedness of this, because on one side, you do have these retail investors, hobby investors um, who are partaking in the market just the way that they can through these apps. Um, and on the other, you have a, a massive hedge fund um, with billions under its belt um, and lots of sophistication and all that jazz. Um, but also within that same realm, in that same space of the hedge fund side, you're now starting to see regulators too where there was cause for this sort of regulation before. Um, I remember we were talking about it when the unfortunate suicide um, took place from the Robin Hood investor last year. Um, and there were calls and cries for there to be a little bit more regulation, but that went on deaf ears. Yet now that people are actively banding together to do something using social media and social media platforms in order to fund their investments, it seems like that is when the regulators can appear out of nowhere and say, oh, we've got to put a stop to this. Um, but it was happening anyway. And there was market manipulation that took place over and over again. I can, I can name so many instances now, but the, the most obvious one in my mind is the global financial crisis. Hello. <laughs> so I, I, I do find it funny that on one side, 
they are these people who are essentially hobby investors coming together that are now being sort of looked down upon. And now is when regulation can, you know, take its place. Um, but also I do want to flag up that there have been false media reports about Reddit traders moving en masse into silver and also special acquisition companies or whatever else is benefiting the hedge funds at the moment, to be honest. And we have actually been receiving these things too. We literally did um, have someone sending us an article about how, quote unquote, there's something big happening in the silver market triggered by Wall Street bets, close quote. I just want to say that's not what's happening. Regular people who can go online and just Google it and find out for yourself what's really happening, that ain't it, chief. And I'll probably leave it at that because, you know, I can talk about this for ages and I, I want to talk about my other story anyway. <laughs> but um, actually, what are your thoughts, Shlomi, on this? I think that it's a total chaos. Uh, I think that the youngest that don't have enough uh, money in their pockets are now sitting at home thinking what can they do and how can they achieve. Uh, and I think that they are aiming the big hedge funds. Uh, I think that short position is now problematic, especially if you uh, expose it. Uh, and then if you recommend uh, someone to uh, sell or buy uh, this uh, this uh, share. So uh, I think that this uh, squeeze short is a very interesting uh, thing that is happening now. And now it's in the favor of the youngers, uh, which don't have enough money. Uh, I, I don't know how it's going to be end, uh, but it's very interesting and something that we couldn't predict. Yeah, for sure. I guess that's a good way to try and segue into my thing, although it's not a natural segue. <laughs> but... <laughs> There is 500,000 is my number because Black-owned U.S. challenger Greenwood Financial hits 500,000 signups in 100 days. First and foremost, I do want to wish my brethren, my sisters and brothers in America, happy Black History Month um, for you guys out there, although they did shortchange you guys with the shortest month to celebrate it. In the UK, we have October, which is a full month. Um, we will still do our best to celebrate those 28 days and show our support on the fintech futures side. So Greenwood Financial um, essentially amassed the 500,000 signups uh, since opening its waitlist in October. That's according to Banking Dive. And the co-founder, Atlanta-based entrepreneur Ryan Glover, said that the platform, which is expected to launch in May or June this year, is on track to hit more than 600,000 active accounts by the end of the year. Um, so he said, we see that there's definitely an appetite for what we're doing, um, he said, uh, alongside his co-founders, civil rights leader Andrew Young and rapper and activist Michael, quote, Killer Mike Render. Uh, the venture, which raised $3 million in seed funding from private investors in October, will launch with spending and saving accounts with other features, including a virtual debit card, P2P transfers, mobile check deposits, and free ACM usage in more than 30,000 locations later on this year. And black banking obviously is not a new concept, but it certainly is gaining momentum amid the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement across the U.S. and even in the U.K. too. So black financial institutions have been around for centuries with their initial uh, meetings amongst African-Americans interested in establishing their own banks held as far back as 1851. And this is before the Civil War. Um, so we are talking slavery times. Um, and according to a research paper 
by Charles Garena in 2007, entitled Economic History, Opening the Vault. He states that during slavery, Black people's credit needs were filled by Black people who accumulated enough wealth to buy their freedom. So these informal bankers collected other people's savings and used the funds to make small loans. Also, mutual aid societies for people's resources to offer a variety of services, including financing for Black entrepreneurs. Meanwhile, free Blacks in North uh, America created similar institutions to provide banking and other services to each other. Um, so as the nation's industrialization and westward expansion increased, the overall demand for capital during the mid-19th century um, however, they realized other sources of credit were needed. And it goes on because it basically says that regardless of the Reconstruction era, um, which was essentially aimed at serving uh, the abolition of slavery and also ending the remnants of the Confederate secession from 1865 to 1877, uh, the first official Black Bank did not come about until 1888. So although they did have Freedman's Savings Bank in 1865, it wasn't Black-owned. Um, and the first one was True Reformers Bank, which was founded on March 1888 by Reverend William Washington Brown. And he was a former slave and also a Union Army officer. So this number has actually gone down to roughly 19 banks owned in the U.S. Um, currently today. Uh, but they were as high as 48 black, black owned banks in 2001. But, uh, similar to uh, other iterations with, uh, banking, the numbers dwindled over the years because of quote unquote regulatory restrictions that often favor larger financial institutions. And they have been established African and Caribbean banks as well with subsidiaries in the UK. So first bank of Nigeria, Ghana International Bank, Jamaica National Bank, et cetera. But there's only been one new challenger in this space launching, and that's Atmen Bank, which we've spoken about as well in the podcast. And we've featured them as well on our Banking Tech Magazine October edition, which was Black History Month in the UK. Uh, so, yeah, it does seem like there's a bit more appetite in this space. Hopefully we'll be seeing more. But what do you think about it, Alex? Yeah, I think... Uh... Greenwood is a great example of a, a bank seeing or founders seeing a need uh, amongst a community and meeting it, and it shows um, in the number of signups. Um, and it also shows the fact that the, the Greenwood has two FD, FDIC partner banks uh, rather than just the usual one, which shows the, the, the desire on the other side of things as well to support the growth of this. And I, I like the idea that this is a, you know, a community bank um, that I believe the quote they said that is something like, um, uh, in the, it's named after the, the Tulsa district, and 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 they said that in that district, a dollar circulated thirty six times around that community before it left the community. Whereas now, in the modern modern day, a dollar only circulates for six hours within the community, and they want to try and meet that again. Um, and really, they have uh, initiatives like uh, a give back program where people, uh, customers can donate to, to organizations or food banks when they use their card. And they also provide, are planning to provide grants to every black and Latinx small business owner who's a customer. And I think it really shows um, how a, a, a bank with a good focus and a good plan and, a, and a, a customer base that needs its services can really thrive. And we always talk about challenger. There's a new challenger bank every other day. And it seems like a lot of these don't necessarily know who they're trying to serve. They can say millennials or they can say, um, you know, a mass affluent or they can say teenagers. But in many cases, you know, they're, they're not providing the services that very specifically target those. It's just sort of 
we'll give them an, a, a virtual card and we'll give them um, 0% on purchases made abroad. But uh, yeah, I think that it shows that when you've got drive and a direction and a real proper business plan, you can really make waves, especially amongst communities that haven't been traditionally served by um, by banks that are already out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, Shlomi, have you, have you got a, a viewpoint on, on the, the, the business model these guys use and how successful they've been? Actually, it's the first time that I hear about such a a bank, which is so for the community. But to my opinion, it's very good for uh, small entrepreneurs or people that want to start their lives and they need the support of the community or people that did it. Uh, Although the Western world goes for, you know, it's more like equality and everybody can have everything in every place and every institutional or incumbent incumbent bank. Uh, but I, I, I still think that uh, uh, helping the community or people that needs more uh, or maybe they want to feel safer, uh, it's much better for them. But it's the first time that I hear about that and it sounds excellent. Here we are in part two of the podcast. This is where we focus on a discussion about a specific industry topic or sector or trend before we get into the world of mobile lending and Israel's tech scene. Um, I'm just, I just want to give Shlomi a chance to give a little bit more information about B2B Israel uh, and your plans for 2021. And then Sharon will ask you the more uh, specific questions. So Shlomi, give us the, the lowdown on your company. Yeah, sure. Uh, so first, I would say that uh, the letters uh, B2B means uh, be the bank. Uh, actually, we offer everyone to be the bank. Uh, we are a peer-to-peer platform uh, and we lend money only to small, medium businesses. That is, this is our focus. So on the one hand, our clients are small, medium businesses, uh, which we wanted to solve their uh, credit crunch uh, problem. Uh, the loans that we are offering to, offering to uh, such uh, businesses are uh, uh, big loans. It's up to 250,000 uh, pounds. Um, and it's for the period of uh, four to six years. And the rates are five to eight uh, percent per year, which is very attractive to our opinion. And, and if you also, you, you can measure it by a competi- competition and you will see that there are no such offers here in Israel. Uh, other than banks, and even banks are not uh, offering such big loans. So this is on the one hand, and because of that, I think that we are getting to excellent borrowers. Our default rate is very low, and this is very uh, growing. Uh, on the other hand, we have the, the investors, which are uh, the public, the general public. I think that uh, the Israeli regulation, which we are the pioneers of, we were found, we found the B2B on 2014. Uh, since then, we went to the legislator and we, we were a big part of the Israeli regulation regarding a peer-to-peer platform. And we are the only platform and the biggest platform here in Israel for uh, small and medium businesses. So we offer the public to just invest their money through us. Uh, we are unique and different from other uh, lending uh, platforms since we don't let the, the investor uh, choose the, the interest, the rate, or the borrower. 
uh, they just have to wire the money and to uh, be sure that we are experts uh, because we're not reflecting um, risk in our uh, rates. Uh, we just want to believe that our borrowers will just pay their loans. Uh, we have our uh, technology and uh, models, uh, financial models that we made for that. Uh, and because of that, we have a greater public uh, that is joining our platform as investors. Uh, and uh, we are, I think, uh, making a change like we are a maverick in the, in the market of, uh, of loans to small medium businesses here in Israel. This was like in a glance uh, about BTB. Well, thanks so much for, for giving us that breakdown. And of course, congratulations on winning the Banking Technology Awards' best use of IT in private banking and wealth management. Can you tell us a little bit more about your BMATCH tech that won? Sure, sure. Our uh, BMATCH technology is uh, unique and also it fits the way we operate. Uh, since we uh, don't allow our uh, investors to choose uh, loans or uh, risk, uh, so we don't see a difference between our loans. So for us, uh, all loans are the same, the same risk, maybe different uh, rate uh, changes. It varies between uh, 5 to 8%. Uh, but all loans we think are uh, uh, good and should be paid. Uh, although we wanted to diversify and to make sure that uh, we expose our investors to as much, uh, to, to as many loans as we can and in the shortest time. Uh, so uh, during the years when we grown and we started to have thousands of investors, uh, we thought, how can we make a big, the biggest portfolio for our investors, which will reflect uh, all our loans, uh, and every investor will have his small portion in this huge portfolio. Uh, so this is for that we created the technology of BMH, which is dicing and slicing all loans every night. Uh, it means that not, none of our investors uh, can recognize or will recognize his uh, portfolio uh, tomorrow, since every day this portfolio will be different uh, and will be changed from yesterday. But the, the main condition is it will be uh, greater. It means more loans in that portfolio. Uh, and on the other hand, the portion of the investor in each loan will be uh, smaller. We can start the highest uh, exposed for one uh, for, for investor in one loan would be no more than two uh, percent from his uh, monies. Uh, and and the, the BMH technology will, would reduce his part to zero point two percent and even less even less than that. Uh, and this is our uh, BMATCH mechanism. Uh, we are just uh, uh, improving it every time. And this is uh, a, a miracle since everyone, you can, you can imagine if, if you deposit, it doesn't matter how, uh, the amount, you can deposit 100,000 uh, uh, shekels or pounds or even 1 million pounds, we're not limited. And you'll see, it, uh, you'll see your portfolio uh, uh, two or three days after, and you'll see uh, hundreds or thousands of loans in your portfolio. Uh, so this is our BMH technology. And can you tell us a bit more about the mobile loan tech scene in Israel and how does it differ to others in the region? Uh, unfortunately, uh, there are no, there's no mobile uh, arena regarding uh, lending here in Israel. Uh, since the open banking is not, is not uh, 
is not accepted here in Israel yet. Uh, there is a legislation process regarding that, uh, but since non-banks does not have any access to to the information of of, of uh, bank clients, so they can't make an offer and they can't offer loans uh, through mobile. It also requires uh, some licenses, which banks do have, but non-banks don't have, especially because uh, this uh, reform that, that is not, you know, we have a political crisis here in Israel. We had uh, four campaigns in the last 18 months, uh, four election campaigns in the last 18 months. So uh, this process is uh, stuck, I would say. Uh, on March, we have uh, our next uh, election campaign, and I hope that uh, this will uh, help us uh, uh, move forward. But but today, only banks can offer to their clients uh, loans through mobile phones, through the app, the bank app. Non-banks can do it. I don't know what's going to happen when Apple Pay and others get into Israel. I heard about Apple Pay, uh, about, about, about uh, Apple Pay's intention to get into Israel uh, in, the, in the last quarter of 2021. Um, and let's see what's going to happen. But today we don't have any 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 way to have mobile zones here in Israel. Um, this is the situation, unfortunately. I'm sorry to tell. Yeah, well, hopefully it will all get worked out um, eventually. And what are the top trends in Israel's fintech space? And what do you see growing in popularity this year? Um, I think uh, what I see, and I, I think that I know the market uh, very well. I think that uh, digital wallet is the next thing here in Israel. There is a big uh, war, I would say, about market share. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, historical, uh, the biggest two Israeli banks, Bank Kapolim and Bank Lumi, owned the two biggest credit card companies, uh, which were part of those banks. They had uh, very nice access to monies and to clients, their bank clients. Uh, and uh, uh, due to uh, laws that started, uh, a reform started in 2011, 2011 here in Israel, uh, and became due in 2018, uh, the Israeli banks had to separate from those uh, credit uh, card companies. Uh, but those banks were smart and they started to uh, develop uh, uh, payments apps uh, for their clients, which uh, is now uh, allowing only to wire monies, the small monies between uh, clients, bank clients. Uh, the credit card companies uh, are still uh, with cards. They offer cards, but not uh, apps. Uh, and now I, I see the, the, their way to, to try to, to develop the digital wallet. Uh, we can see what happens with the banks that are running to the clients and offering more and more ways to wire monies uh, through uh, uh, payments, through digital. Uh, it's a, I, I wouldn't call it digital wallet yet, but through the phone. Um, everybody here in Israel is talking about uh, Apple entering into Israel in the end of uh, 2021. Uh, everybody here in Israel knows that the world goes cashless, cardless, uh, and I think that uh, the big companies or the big banks understood it. Fintech companies are not in the game uh, because of the reform that is stuck. As I told you, the open banking, PSD2, what you know, in, uh, what calls in Europe uh, PSD2. Uh, so I think that this is very interesting. First, the, first the technology, 
then uh, the, the regulation, how to do it, who will do it first, who will get the most clients. Uh, and we hear sometimes about uh, like uh, supermarkets chains with, with a, a big uh, audience of uh, clients uh, uh, reaching an agreement with the credit card companies regarding the clients and they together will market their digital wallet. Uh, there are some plans. Uh, there is uh, such a company that its shares are uh, up these days because of this agreement. And this is a very hot market. And I don't know how, would, how, how will it be seen in the end of 2021 here in Israel. We're here in part three for FinTech Jail. Already, our buzzword Bailey has plenty of words tucked away in prison from season one, but what will be joining it, or will any of them be sprung from their place of imprisonment? If you don't know the rules, uh, this is where we ask our guest for an industry term, buzzword, or trend that they have had enough of and they want to see banished from the industry. Uh, then Sharon and I will decide whether it gets sent down and what kind of sentence should be passed. Uh, so, Shlomi, what term do you want to see uh, put in our fintech jail? I'll try to convince you that ecosystem is the word that I would put in jail uh, for the last uh, for, for the next uh, 20, 25 years. Uh, if you want my explanation or education, I can explain. Uh, do you agree with me that ecosystem should be uh, in the jail? Uh, let, let's uh, let's hear your 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 case before we make a decision. To me, it sounds like a bad influence. I think that companies should not uh, meet uh, uh, in a way as we call it ecosystem. I don't. Th- I don't think that they have to compare or, or, or to to think about each other or to meet uh, in uh, places that they call it uh, ecosystem. They don't have to create any ecosystem. I think that innovation uh, happens when you are just with yourself. Uh, every company have to. Uh, to have its own uh, experience uh, and to think by, by itself and not not be influenced, n- not even the employees uh, from the ecosystem. I support uh, uh, conferences, uh, but I, I don't think that the word ecosystem is, is good to stay because of that I would love to put it in jail. Uh, I think we hear the term ecosystem quite a lot in the, in the industry, don't we? And there's a lot of uh, applications around that. I think uh, we're going to be hearing a lot of noise. Uh, unfortunately for you, Shalimi, I think we're going to be hearing a lot more of it as people put forward more platform plays uh, and design themselves around open banking. But um, Sharon, have we had anything like eco? You're the you're the uh, the arbiter of the jail. Have, have we had anything like ecosystem in there? No, surprisingly not. We haven't had anything like it. So I guess there is a, a strong argument to put it in there. I mean, there are still loads of others out there that are in our own bingo. <laughs> ready to go. Um, but yes, ecosystems does seem to have a strong argument to pop it in there. I mean, as you did say, every company has its own experience to think for itself and innovation often happens with oneself. Um, and this whole kind of ecosystem, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm, for me, I'm not that irked though by it. Have twenty to twenty-five years. I don't know about you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you've you've caught us. You've caught us at a bad, in a bad season because Sharon and I look back at the sentences we gave all the all the buzzwords in season one. We were like, wow, we were harsh to so many of them. Um, so we, we're we're more inclined to be to be lenient this time around. But I think that um, 
I think it's going to, it's one of those terms that is, uh, because it should be a default. I think we get a lot of terms people want to put in the jail because it's sort of like a, it should be a given. Um, and I think that, yeah, as we approach our future with more, I think we, where people adopt things like open banking, platformification, um, that it should be a given that you have an ecosystem in some cases, uh, or, you know, a collection of partners and, and, um, like minds to help you drive forward. But yeah, I mean, I don't know about 20 to 25 years, uh, probably le- uh, less than that, but I'll, uh, I'm going to, I'll pass the hot potato to Sharon for the, for the sentencing, maybe, maybe 10 years, maybe less, not sure. <laughs> yes, I get the hot potato once again. Um, okay. Let, I'm going to go with 10 years, um, with maybe two years probation afterwards, just to see if we can rehabilitate it. Maybe I'll have a different meaning within that time, you know, and the market can think of other things to use in the interim, you know? Uh, yeah, that's what I'm going to go with. 10 years with two years probation. I'm satisfied. Well, that's all we have time for this episode. Thanks to Sharon and Shlomi for joining me. But before we sign off, uh, just a chance for people to plug socials, websites, products, etc. Um, Shlomi, as our guest, you're up first. Anything you'd like to plug? Um, you can find me on uh, BTB website, which is uh, btb12.co.il. Uh, you can email me if you want to shlomi at uh, btb12.co.il. And everybody's welcome. Uh, Sharon, you, you go next then. All right. Well, you can find me at Fintech Kits, all one word, and it's Fintech and then Kits, like all kits. Um, and also you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm loving all of these rando suggestions for the podcast. It makes me smile because it means that there's quite the broad audience out there. Um, who knows if your topic will come up next? I mean, I'm rooting for you guys. Um, and also you can obviously find uh, it is Banking Technology Magazine edition out now by the time this podcast comes out. <laughs> so yes, that that's me. Cool. You can find me on Twitter at, at adhamilton91 and on my LinkedIn and on LinkedIn just by searching my name. Keep an eye out for uh, fintech futures first few reports of the year coming out soon. One on uh, a general industry survey. We surveyed our audience to find out what people thought were going to be the big topics in the next two years. And another one on data analytics in back office systems and indeed front office systems. As for Fintech Futures, you can find us online at www.fintechfutures.com, on Twitter at, at @fintechfutures, and on LinkedIn just by searching Fintech Futures and looking for our gorgeous logo and our fantastic group. If you like this podcast and our other episodes, then please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting service. We'd also really appreciate it if you could help other listeners find the podcast by writing a review or recommending us to a friend. Uh, Thanks very much for all your support. And we'll soon see you again for another episode of What the Fintech. But until then, goodbye.